All right, let's turn back to John chapter 15. Here's the next point I want to make. And these are not all of the points that there are to make from these passages, but I had to pick and choose which ones. And these are the ones that have really ministered specifically to me. And um, so going back to some of these scriptures that I read earlier, in John chapter 15, in verse 8, it says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. And then drop down to verse 15. It says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So here's the reason that I'm bringing these scriptures out. I'm talking about how it's God's will for you to bear fruit. When I've been in crisis situations, and, I, and usually a crisis is some you're facing some kind of failure. Like if it's a crisis of healing, you're facing uh, a disability or death or something like that. If it's a financial crisis, you're facing failure, bankruptcy, or something being repossessed, or you having to get kicked out of your house. Or if you're talking about a relationship, you're talking about the relationship ending. So there's some fear of whether this thing's going to work out, whether there's failure or not. And that's one of the things that you have to deal with. And so in a crisis situation, one of the things that I do to be able to counter that fear is to start saying, Father, I know that your will is for me to bear fruit. It is your will. You want me to prosper. You want me to succeed. Because honestly, uh, some of the thoughts that I've gone through at times is, you know, does God care? Is God going to intervene in this situation? If you've ever been in a crisis situation and you've prayed and you haven't seen instantaneous results, most of the time this is the thoughts that come to your mind about does God really care? Is God really going to heal me? Is He really going to provide my finances? Is God going to come through? And so how do you counter that? Well, there's a couple of things. And intertwined in, in all of these verses that we've read tonight, these seven or eight verses, every one of them has talked about, you know, abide in His love. I don't call you servants. I call you friends. All of those things are talking about relationship. The more you know God and the goodness of God, then love, perfect love, will cast out fear. But here's another way to deal with it, and this is what I'm pointing out now is that if you know that God wants you to succeed, that God is into ad, uh, addition and multiplication, actually multiplication more than addition, He's never into subtraction. God is not about taking from you. He wants you to prosper. If you have that ingrained in you, then you know what? That's going to help you to face a potential failure and say, I know this isn't God's will. I know I am ordained by God. I didn't choose him. He chose me and he ordained me to go and bring forth fruit. God gets pleasure out of seeing me succeed. He does not get pleasure out of seeing me fail. Boy, you've got to convince yourself of that. And in a crisis situation where you're staring failure in the face, that's one of the things that I do is to encourage myself and remind myself that, you know what, God wants me to succeed more than I want to succeed. And I use that to counter that negative fear and stuff that Satan is fighting me with. When it came to this building, you know what? We got into this building and it was a miracle. I exerted my faith 
And I got into this building, and then we we had the plumbing dug down here for I I don't know exactly how long, but it was over a year that we did we did about seventy thousand dollars worth of construction. That's all the money I had, and then it just sat here, and it sat here, and it sat here, and I walked through here every day. It was a half a mile around the perimeter, the inside perimeter of this building, and I'd walk that thing. 10 or 15 times a night praying in tongues and believing for this thing to get built. And I did that for at least 12 months. I think it was 14 months. And you know what? It just looks like, man, you know, this isn't going to work. It's not going to happen. We're never going to get this thing. I mean, that was 12 or 14 months with no construction. And then when we started construction, it was another 12 months before we saw it completed. But there was 12 months that it just sat here. And during that period of time... You know, you get thoughts about, is it ever going to work? And this, these are some of the things. I actually use these exact scriptures. Father, I know that I didn't choose you. I didn't start this process. You're the one that told me I was limiting you. I was content to go get a 30,000 square foot building. You're the one that challenged me to get 110,000 square foot. You're the one that started this. It's not your will that I fail. You want this thing to work. You've ordained me that I bring forth fruit. And I use things like that to keep myself built up and edified. And these are some of the exact verses that I use. And you've got to believe that. You know, again, I say everything from a minister's perspective because that's what I am. So some of you may not relate to all of this. But when you're in ministry, there's just lots of times that it looks like things aren't going to work. Your church isn't going to grow. That you aren't going to get the finances that you need. And you have to stare potential failure in the face. And there's lots of times that I go back and say, Father, I was going my own way. I was an 18-year-old doing my own thing. You're the one that arrested me. I didn't choose you. You chose me. You called me. And I just go back to that, that you chose me. And what did you choose me for? Did you bring me out of Egypt because you wanted to see me die in the wilderness? That's exactly what the children of Israel said over and over and over. He brought us out to die in this wilderness. It would have been better for us to have died in Egypt when we were eating of the leeks and the garlic and all of this stuff. Man, what stupid, stupid logic to think that God would have gone to all of this expense and these great miracles and parted the Red Sea and destroyed the mightiest nation on the face of the earth so that He could send you out into the desert and kill you. That doesn't even make sense. If God wanted to kill you, it would have been much more economical. It would have been easier to just kill you in Egypt. Amen. Let the Egyptians run over you. That defies logic. And yet, did you know that we do the exact same thing? You step out in faith, believing that God called you to do something, called you to come to Bible school, and after it gets a little hard, or you find out that, man, this is costing me some money, and, you know, you get to thinking, and I wonder if, you know... I wonder if God cares, if He's just going to let me fail. Boy, that thought is just totally contrary to everything that God has shown you. You know what? You have to keep yourself built up. And I do it by saying that God is glorified when I bear much fruit. God is not glorified by me failing. And everything God does, He does to bring honor to His name and to project Himself as being a faithful God, it is not going to glorify God for me to be sick. You know, it's this logic. There's people who say, I'm glorifying God with this sickness. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that when they were healed, the people glorified God. Sickness doesn't glorify God. And so if you, just, if you went by this scripture, that God is glorified when you bear much fruit. He's ordained you to succeed, not to fail. 
Then start looking at everything that you're fighting in your life. Is this thing glorifying God? If it isn't glorifying God, then you know what? God's not into it. It's not God who's caused it. It's not God who's allowing it to persevere. God is into you bearing fruit, into you being successful. You know, there was a man that took over Wendell's church. I don't know if I've shared this with... I don't know if it's day class or not. But anyway, Wendell, when he came here, a guy who worked for me went and took over Wendell's church. And I didn't know anything bad about this guy, but it turned out that he had some serious problems. And uh, Wendell had... I'm not certain, but it was 200 or something like that members. Within about two years, this guy had whittled them down to 40 or 50. The church had shrunk to nearly nothing. He had just offended anybody and everybody. And Wendell had a facility that I think that they actually had like $350,000. It was a beautiful deal. It was probably 40 feet tall at the apex, and it was kind of like a round deal. And... And it was a beautiful facility, and it was probably worth over a million. I think it was worth a million and a half dollars, but they built it 20-something years ago for 350 or whatever thousand dollars, right across from the high school, primo location, everything. Well, after this guy had whittled his crowd down from 200 to 50, he decided that he was going to sell that and get a smaller facility, which you could debate whether that was the right thing to do or not, but... He wasn't going to sell it for the $101.5 million that it appraised at. He decided to sell it to the, to the school for like $200,000, nearly one-tenth of what it's worth, and just bless the school. And because he had worked for me and I had recommended him, you know, and of course Wendell and everybody associated with was very upset with this whole process. I called him and I talked to him and he said, oh, it's God that told me to do this. And you know what? I use these exact scriptures. I said, God is glorified that you bear fruit. God is into increase. God wants to see you succeed. And I said, God is not a subtractor or a divider. You cannot convince me that God would want to take... million worth of assets that could benefit the kingdom and sow it into the public school system to help promote, uh, you know, homosexuality and how to put a condom on a banana and stuff like that. I said, you just can't convince me that that is God. And he kept saying, oh, this is God. I said, it doesn't square with the Word of God. God is not into decrease. He's not into division. And see, this, these are principles that I use. Some people say, well, how do you know that God wants you to do this? Because I know the nature of God. And this is part of the Scripture, see, that shows me that. God wants you to succeed. And if it's success, that doesn't guarantee that it's God, but at least it meets one of the criterias. If it isn't success, that doesn't guarantee that it's not God. Sometimes God will... Like when I went to Pritchett, Colorado, you know, it looked like from just human reasoning... I had this vision of someday reaching millions of people and having this huge ministry, and nobody, nobody could have diagrammed a path to that through Pritchett, Colorado. (laughs) It's like Pritchett, Colorado is the end of the world. If you go there, the only way you leave Pritchett is feet first. It's not a stepping stone to anything else. And so in the natural, with just my mind, it looked like that this is bad. This is an increase. It's decrease. But I could see the potential. And so I went ahead and obeyed. And it turned out that I I left about a a group of 50 in uh, Childress, Texas. And within two or three weeks, we had 100 
in Pritchett, even though there was only about 10 people in the church when I took it over. And so there was increase. And it was a good thing. And that's where God started me on radio. And the whole ministry took off. Everything exploded. And so it was a, it was a good thing. I'm saying that sometimes it, you need a little bit of wisdom because God will ask you to do some things that may look like decrease, but it's just temporary. So I'm not saying that you just evaluate everything on the basis of, is, is this going to be increase in finances? Is this going to be increase in influence? Is this going to be better in all of these ways? Sometimes you need to recognize that it could be a little different than what it might appear on the surface. But ultimately, it is a, a, a cardinal principle that you just never violate that God wants to see you succeed. God wants you to prosper. And if it's decrease, I doubt that it's God. I've used this same logic on some of our Bible college students before. I've had Bible college students come here and they were in a financial situation where they didn't have to work. They just deplete their savings and they just use that and use it to come to school. And I can't say that God wouldn't tell you to do that because if you are in a situation that you just have so far to go and you need a 100% immersion, you might not need any distraction, you just come and saturate yourself. I couldn't say that that wouldn't be God, but it does not it does violate one of the criteria that I believe for the direction of God and that is that God wants you to increase. I don't think that God would want anybody to be poorer after coming to Bible college than they were before they came. Now, it is going to cost you money to sit in class, but you need to be doing something to prosper. You need to be doing something to offset the expenses. And I have had students that came and said, nope, God told me to just take a sabbatical and focus on God 100%. So I wouldn't say that that couldn't be God, but I'd, I would be, I'd question it. I'd have to pray about it and have God speak to me because I just don't believe God wants any of us to go through a period where you aren't increasing in finances, increasing in health, increasing in joy, increasing in everything. God just wants you to prosper in every area of your life. And so I don't put myself in a position where I'm not prospering. I don't do things that I see that are going to be a subtraction. I do things that increase my influence, not decrease my influence. Now, again, there's a balance to that. I can't... You know, I don't evaluate going to churches based on whether it's a big church. And I wouldn't go to a little church. I'd go to a big church. That's not what I do. I go to little churches. If God tells me to go, that's fine. Because, you know, you could reach one person in a little church that might be the next Billy Graham. So you can't evaluate everything on just, I'm going to go to the biggest churches. I'm going to go to the ones who pay me the most. I don't even take those two things into account when I go to a place. But I am saying that with, within reason, with certain things, I basically am looking for increase. I want to increase my influence. I don't believe God has wanted me to decrease my influence. I had another situation with a ministry. Uh, I can't remember all the details right now. But anyway, they came to me and they were debating doing some different things. And one of them was just a tremendous decrease in their influence and the number of people that they were reaching. And the other one was just a great opportunity to reach many more people. And they were in a quandary about what they should do. And I said, unless you have a word from God, uh, the one that with increased influence is God. You would have to have a word from God to tell you something differently. But uh, basically, you just use these things as 
guidelines. God wants you to increase. He wants you to prosper. So when you come into a crisis situation, remember that it's all about increase. It's not decrease. And that's part of how you keep yourself in faith, that God didn't bring me into this position to see me fail. He brought me into this position to see me succeed. Amen? Amen. And I do that same thing in our own ministry. Yes, ma'am. I just, I just, um, I don't know if you this up, but it, the next part of the says that, that and that your fruit should remain. So he's not just in for increase, he's also in for longevity. Right. You know, and that's really... In other words... Day, your integrity and being able to run in the long haul. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, I just, that's very cool. That's right. Uh, there's a lot of people that put emphasis on, like, say, for instance, evangelistic efforts. We had 10,000 people saved. But are any of these people going to remain? Are they going to be discipled? Or are they going to become part of the statistics where people said, I would have been a Christian if I hadn't have meant one? Ultimately, that is not. That's a, that's a quote from Mahatma Gandhi. And uh, ultimately, that does... Mahatma Gandhi led 750 million people into paganism and all of these multiple gods, and yet he was absolutely convinced after reading the New Testament that the Bible was true and that Jesus was the Savior. And he went to a Presbyterian church in Africa while he was in exile, political exile, to become a Christian and to make his profession of faith. And because he was black these white missionaries wouldn't let him into their church. And he said, I would have been a Christian if I hadn't meant one. And he rejected Christianity and led India through all of this stuff. And that guy could have influenced 750 million people in India. So you know what? Maybe those Presbyterian missionaries reached somebody, but you know what? Their, Their fruit overall was not good. They did more damage than they did good. And so... You do need to evaluate not just increase, but is it a godly increase? Is it the right kind of increase? Is it the right kind of fruit? And so that is a good point. So you need to make sure that when you're evaluating things that you need to look at it from that standpoint. Let me tell you a story about this. Here's another time that the Lord used this exact verse to speak to me. I was taking my mother's car over to get the tires changed on it over in Fort Worth one time. This is back, I was only 18 years old. And... I was in this car dealership, and there was these two guys in there. We were waiting on our cars to get fixed, and this one guy used profanity every other breath. I mean, he was saying the most vile, ungodly things that I think I'd ever heard anybody say. And I was sitting there just, you know, trying to work myself up to be able to witness to him. And I just was struggling because I figured he'd turn on me. And so I, I waited for, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes or whatever while they were working on the car. And I never did get up my courage to talk to this guy. And so I went and sat. They called me and I went and sat in the car. And I t- actually turned on the car and I was feeling terrible. Like, God, I missed an opportunity. I know I was supposed to speak to this guy. And while I was sitting there, the Lord spoke to me, John 15:16. You didn't cho- choose me. I chose you and ordained you to go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And he says, it's not up to you to pick and choose whether you want to do it. I chose you. You should be obeying me. So anyway, after I'd left the car dealership, I got back back in, drove back in, got out, and walked in. And when, when I first wanted to witness to this guy, it was only him and this guy he was talking to. By the time I got back in, there must have been 10 other people there, and nobody was talking. It was totally silent. 
So I had already left and been gone for 10 or 15 minutes. When I walked back in, people saw me walk back in and I just stood there and I had the attention of everybody. It would have been much better if I had just obeyed God when he first spoke to me. So I walked in and I was just standing there and this guy, he looked up at me. He said, do you want something? And I said, well, I said, I just have a question for you. And he said, what about? And I said, well, I heard you talking about hell and damnation and all this. I figured you must be an expert. And I said, I just want to know, if you were to die right now, where would you go? I said that in front of all these people. (laughs) And this guy just looked at me and he says, well, I guess I'd go to Pennsylvania. That's where everybody else in my family is (laughs) buried. He didn't even know what I was talking about. And so I had to sit there and explain it to him. And this guy got so embarrassed and he started apologizing. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have been doing this. But I got to witness to all of them. But anyway, the Lord used that verse to tell me that, you know what? It's not really up to me. God chose me. He chose you and you are not your own. And uh, really, you don't have the freedom to sit there and say, if God's leading you to do something, to say, I'm not going to do it. He chose you and ordained you. This is what you were created for. And you're supposed to fulfill that. Amen? And so anyway, this is one of the things I got out of this Christian survival kit, that if these disciples would have been thinking about, you know what, God, he, He just told us a few hours ago, that he gets glorified by us bearing much fruit. He wants to see me prosper. He wants to see me succeed. Is this prosperity? The things that I'm looking at like, man, this is the death of our vision. Is this consistent with what he said? They could have rejected the fear and the hopelessness that they felt just on the basis of what he had said right here in these verses. But they didn't. Instead, they let their mind go and they got into fear and did all of these kind of things. So one of the things I do is constantly just sit here and tell myself, you know what, God wants me to succeed more than I want to succeed. And I convince myself of that. I preach to myself. I don't know if you do this or not, but I preach to myself. I've actually put my own tapes on. I have. I have actually thought, you know what, I need to go back and listen to this and I'll put my own tape on and listen to my tape. And I get blessed by it. I really do. I believe it's God speaking through me. Somebody says, well, that's arrogant. The way I look at it is, if it doesn't bless me, I don't know why you ought to be blessed by it. (laughs) Amen. It blesses me. It's the truth. So I preached to myself. Before I had tapes and CDs, you know what I used to do? I used to stand in front of a mirror and look myself eyeball to eyeball and point my finger at myself. And I'd preach to myself and I said, you are the righteousness of God. I don't care what you feel like. I don't care what you've done. God does love you. And I just preached to myself. And you have to keep yourself stirred up. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 5, it talks about David when everybody wanted to stone him to death. And it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Most of us go running to God. No, God, please encourage me. Or we run to a person, would you please pray for me? I want a word of knowledge, something to encourage me. Well, you may have to do both of those things at some time or another, but ultimately what you need to do is get to a place where you encourage yourself in the Lord. You keep yourself in faith. You keep yourself in the love of God is what it says in Jude chapter 1, verse 21. Keep yourself in the love of God. Don't ask God to keep you in it. You keep yourself in it. And one of the ways I do that is by scriptures just like this, that God, I know you have desired for me to prosper. Faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. It says that uh, 
that the Lord had faith in me over in Philippians chapter 1. He counted me faithful by calling me and putting me in the ministry. The very fact that God called me into the ministry means that God had faith that I could do it. If God has faith in me, who am I to doubt that it can happen? That's exalting my opinion above God. Man, if God has called you, then you know what? He had faith in you. The least you could do is have faith in God's faith. And you do stuff like this. This is how I keep myself motivated. So anyway, that's short and sweet, but that's the next deal in this thing is that you have to believe that God wants you to prosper. He ordained you for this purpose and anything that isn't prosperity, isn't victory, isn't success, isn't God. And so you can reject it on that basis. Amen? Amen. That's good. Anybody got a question, comment? You saw a miracle tonight. I think I have never quit before time in my life. But that's all I've got to say about that. If you don't have any questions or comments, I'll let you go. Everybody satisfied? Yes. I, I have a question. You know, uh, God doesn't send sickness and all this gross stuff on us, but He does love us go through trials or whatever. And I don't want to get off way in a whole other teaching thing. But um, how, how does that fit in with the, with the increase thing? Well, I'm going to question what you said. You said that he lets us go through trials. How does he let us go through trials? Well, well, um, if, you, if you take the Apostle Paul, he was beaten, he was all these different things, and that wasn't God's will for him to be So are you saying, well, okay, that was my next question. Are you saying it's God's will? No, I'm saying no. But God doesn't let it in the sense that he approves it or has to allow it. He has given us control. And if a person wants to yield themselves to the devil, well, then they can do you some damage. But that's not God that allowed it. Or it's not God who let it happen. It's just the world system. And we do have our free will and all that kind of stuff. But we do, I mean, we do have flesh. And we do, we are supposed to deny the flesh, right? We have to, we have to counter, you know, when we're, when we're depressed, we have to counter that and go through all these things. So... Okay, now I messed up with my question. Well, I didn't I mean, mean to mess no, no, you up. No, that's fine. I, I, um, because I didn't want to get off into this rat hand thing, sovereignty of God thing. But, um, but, you know, there, um, we are, we do go through persecution. We are promised that as a, you know, for a fallen Christ, people are going to like it sometimes. Well, again, I would question your terminology. We aren't promised persecution. We are warned that it will come. It's not like it's something that God rewards you with. (laughs) But he did say that, yes, all those who live godly will suffer persecution. It's inevitable because we're in a corrupt world and you're standing for light and they hate light and they're going to persecute you. It is true that hardship, if you respond correctly to it, you're better off because of it. But the hardship isn't from God. It's the, it's the faith that actually makes you better. Like, for instance, people, I've taught on this out of James chapter 1. People will say, let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. And that if you're praying for patience, what you're praying for is trials. That's not true. But patience comes through Scripture. Romans 15:4. You through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.23, and it also comes through Scripture. But your patience doesn't come from trials. If it did, every person who's had trials would have patience. 
So trials do not produce patience. But patience isn't going to be full grown if you never encounter any trials. And so there is a relationship here. But God doesn't send the trials. It's just the world is going to try you. You are going to have opposition. And if you release your faith and stay in the Word of God, your patience will increase and be better, and you'll be better off because of it. But God didn't send the troubles. They're just here. I've used this example. I don't know if I used it in this class, but I was taught in the Army how to be a soldier. And they train you and tell you how to overcome, how to, tell you how to kill a person, tell you how to defend yourself, tell you how to do all of this stuff. And you know what? That training is is what's supposed to make you a good soldier. But I can guarantee you, when a person first came into... I'll just say it from my perspective. When they first came into Vietnam, they were dangerous if all they've ever done is go through training because it was all head knowledge and there wasn't any practical application. They didn't have any wisdom with it. And when a person was brand new in countries, what we called it, they were scary. They were scary. There was a lot of people that got killed and accidents and stuff that happened because people were out there and they didn't have the practical application. They had knowledge, but they didn't have any practical application. And so when a person was brand new in combat, they were dangerous. And so you could say it this way, that combat makes you a better soldier. That's a true statement. By you putting into practice what you've been taught, you become a better soldier. But if you were to interpret that, that, oh, this enemy... By me facing them, I'm going to be better. That's a true statement. So they must be my friend. And if you run up and try and embrace the enemy as, oh, man, you've come to make me a better soldier, they're going to kill you. Amen. That is not true. It's only going to help you if you recognize it as the enemy and if you fight it with everything you've got. Then the training that you have putting into practice is going to make you a better soldier. It's not really the enemy that makes you a better soldier. It's your, pra- it's your training, but you have to apply it. You have to act on it. Faith without works is dead. And it's the same thing. The Word is what makes you perfect and complete. First, Corinthians, uh, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Patience comes through the Scripture, but you have to get to where you apply it. You have to start acting on it. It needs to be put into practice. And how do you practice faith and patience? You're going to have to have it you're going to have to encounter some problems. But it's wrong the way the church is taught. So therefore, since you know overcoming problems makes you stronger, that must mean problems are our friends. Embrace it. Praise God that He gave you sickness. That's like a soldier running out and trying to embrace the enemy. They're going to kill you. That's wrong. But it is true that by facing that enemy, you're going to become a better soldier if you act on what you've been taught. I can guarantee you I'm stronger and better at ministering to people because of the thousands and thousands of people I've ministered to. And yet, it's not the people in my practice that made me better. It was the truth that set me free. It's the truths from God's Word. But those truths, as you apply them, you, you understand it better by doing than you ever do by just sitting in a class like this and learning about it. I can guarantee you, if ever, you know, I taught on uh, our second year class on my outline of how to minister and how to deliver a message and how to do things. And Jay Randolph, some of you may know Jay, but he's the one that writes our books for us. He's a second year student. And Jay went to Russia, and when he came back and gave his testimony, he testified that, man, those outlines and the things that we talked about when he got over there and got to minister, and it kicked in big time. And 
He listened to me in class and learned it. But when he put it into practice and started following that, he says it just changed him. He says he never had been as effective as he was after hearing that stuff. So the truth is what really helped him. But that truth didn't really impact his life and change him until he started putting it into practice and acting on it. And so that's the same thing with all this stuff. Anybody else? I'll let you go. You're getting out early tonight. What a miracle. You're dismissed. <laughs>